0: it's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Sounded by Firemen, with Chris Clark and Wes Mitchell, on the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game.
1: And welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, here on 107.5 The Game. Tyler Head, Wes Mitchell, and Chris Clark, along with you on this Monday morning. Happy Day after Super Bowl, guys. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed the game last night. We had a good one. There were there were a
2: couple good ones yesterday. Uh, took in the women's game. Big victory over number three LSU. And yeah, then the Super Bowl. I know we were just talking about it before we went on air here. Great game. Great game. Marred at the end a little bit by a couple different things.
1: So I was talking about this last hour on the extra point, and I was talking about the penalty there on Bradbury on Juju Smith-Schuster, and the the point that I was trying to make was, I would have been okay if that did not get called, given the situation. And, and Greg Olson was making that point as well from the commentary booth. But but a lot of people were weighing in saying that they wanted to see it called regardless because it was a penalty. And James Bradbury did come out after the game and say, "Yes, I was guilty of holding. Like that was my fault." But given, and it wasn't it wasn't as egregious as Mahomes getting pushed out of bounds in the AFC Championship game, I was just trying to make the point that, okay, if that doesn't get called, given how pivotal it was there, I would have been okay with that.
2: Yeah, I think, I think you're okay with it e- either way, especially because
1: the guy admitted he held. And Which, if he did not get called for the penalty, they asked him about it after the game, he probably would have said, well, of course I didn't do it. So I think, <laughs> you okay, think so? yeah, you, got, you got caught red-handed. What else are you going to say at that point?
2: True. Now, he could have said,
1: He could have no commented it. Sure.
2: Yeah, no commented, or he could have said, Hey, uh, you know, if, if, look, if nobody, if that had not been called, probably nobody notices. Sure. You know, but if somebody happened to notice and he's asked about it in the locker room after, after the game and they say, Hey, that last play, you know, what did you see? It was an incomplete pass or whatever. He might have said, Oh, I gave him a little tug, but you know, I mean, he might have said that. But, you know, when I said marred at the end of the game, I wasn't really talking about, like it was a bad call sure. as much because, I mean, Bradbury admitted it. Um, when I saw the replay, I was like, I can see how you would call that. I would have been okay if they didn't call it. Right. I get it. Um, but to me, it was just, it was a little bit more because you, you don't like that pivotal of a call being made, the game resting on that call one yes. way or another. Uh, if he would have taken him... And thrown him down, sure, or something
1: abs- like that. Something again, going back then to the like, AFC okay. <laughs> AFC Championship game, yeah. Mahomes was two steps out of bounds, get shoved into the bench. You cannot call that. Yeah, you, it's like that's that. so obvious.
2: It, it was just, it was a little bit more um, unfortunate. Like I'm not looking at it like, oh, the Eagles got screwed. They shouldn't have called that. I'm looking at it more of, given how back and forth and how awesome this game was, it kind of stinks that. It came down to that call needing to be made, right? You know, to have such a big stake, and then the other one, the other thing that marred it for me a little bit, to a lesser degree, but you know, the Eagles have what four or five seconds left on the clock, yeah, at the end, that last play, it wasn't as bad as the, uh, the one play from the (laughs) the playoffs where they had um, what's his face at center Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys have Ezekiel Elliott at center. It, it wasn't that bad, but that was not a good final play. I wanted to see something at the end. I wanted to see some laterals. A little bit more prolonging of the excitement and, and do they have any type of chance and they didn't really give themselves a chance that last play.
3: I think, guys, for, first of all, from a football standpoint, I actually I actually do think it was the right call. Um, from a... From a fan standpoint, we w- we want to see the game won by touchdowns.
1: And I didn't have a rooting interest in Eagles either team. I just wanted to see it, see a good game, and that's what we had. All things considered, um, again, it's just unfortunate that, that played such a pivotal role there in the last couple minutes.
3: Well, it's just it's more fun to watch a guy score a touchdown than it is to watch a ball hit the ground, then a yellow flag hit the ground, and <laughs> then a guy take then, a knee at the line and tell you about it, and then um yeah i i yeah. thought so i mean so first of all my my only maybe argument to the other side is it did seem like they let him they let the guys play for most of the game and um you know i think every game much like basketball every game has a flow to it and some referee crews are gonna let you play some days you may know hey it's gonna be a little ticky tack day we gotta be careful i i will say this i you know, they've replayed this thing over and over and over again. Right. Um, he actually tugged him twice. Mm. So he mm-hmm. tugged him on the initial cut and kept him. He, so there's a great route um, by uh, the receiver. And so it's like one of those little pigtail routes, but then it turns into a wheel route. He tugged him on the initial um, in-and-out cut. Then when he's trying to get vertical... And they, they've set this play up. Like, that's if you watch Mahomes, so ball is snapped. He's looking that way. This is the direction he's trying to go. Yeah. And I think they complete this pass without the two tugs is why I think it's the right call. Um, I, I think he has a step. And in the NFL, now there's a safety lurking over the top. But in the NFL, you don't have to be very open to be open, especially as good as both of these quarterbacks are. Sure. So that that's why I think you have to make the call. If it was a call on the other side of the field and it doesn't really affect the play, then that's one thing. This is a third and eight. We probably are sitting here. So let's say they don't make the call. Mm-hmm. Let's say the Eagles win the game. Is there not equally... An argument at that point on the other side, um, you know that the Chiefs got the
1: shaft. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Chiefs fans would certainly be making that argument, but it wasn't the most egregious holding call we've ever seen. I but feel on like on a it, third and eight, on when a that's third the and eight. direction
3: you're going with the ball with a minute and fifty one seconds left. Right. Yeah, I, I've, I've
2: changed my mind. Yeah, you're right. But he's we, going to we would he's be, going to that receiver. We would be watching first take right now. And the headline thing would be, did James Bradbury grab so-and-so on that play? And that was a great route. Goodness.
3: He's beat. He had to grab
2: him. It, it was set, such it a set, good he route. He grabbed
3: him twice. Yeah. Um, I'll say this from a fan perspective. I hate the holdout for a field goal yeah. at the last second thing. <laughs> from a football perspective, yeah. it is 100% the right move. Sure. And... um, You know, to actually slide down and give yourself up, um, huge play. And you don't always see the guys actually follow through with it. Even if they've been told, hey, don't score, there's something you've been taught your entire life. Sure. Go score if you have an opportunity. There's something about it that makes it, I think, difficult for guys to do. Um, Kudos. The execution was good on everything. But um, it's just not fun because kickers at the NFL level and snappers and holders at the NFL level it's nearly – they are still human beings, but it is nearly automatic. It is nearly robotic from that distance. That's why they moved the PATs back is because it was so automatic. So it's not near as fun to watch the clock tick off. And then you kick a field goal with virtually no time left and and end it. Football standpoint, coaching standpoint, um, game management standpoint, absolutely the right call. Just not as perfect. Um, You know, I, I think what we all wanted to see from a fan of football standpoint was the Chiefs score a touchdown there, but leave about a minute and a half left. And then... You get to see Jalen Hurts get the ball back with a chance to go score, and there's actually an opportunity there, as opposed to getting the ball back with, um, you know, essentially time for one at most two plays. Right. What What was the last
2: play though?
3: It was a hail mary that from went did, to like the thirty yard
2: line. For, uh, so they needed a an eighty yard throw, pretty much.
1: Well, he Well, he, no, they squibbed it. So it was they like They did squib it. Okay. It, it was like the Mo- 35 40 yard line. Yeah,
3: most okay, so They needed s- about 70 yards roughly. Okay. Most No. Most, I want to say most. Lots of quarterbacks can make that throw in the NFL. There are quarterbacks who can make that throw in the NFL, I should say. Well, oh, no doubt. And, and but we, Jalen Hurts either the ball came out weird or he is not one of those quarterbacks. Yeah,
1: make, I mean, <laughs> we've seen make Hurts make very deep throws, we saw him make some in the game. I don't know if he was expecting to have a receiver there to maybe pull off like a hook and ladder or something at that point, but it, it did look weird that it just ended up being a dying quail 20, 30 yards short of the end zone. Yes. I, um, I'll tell you all this. So my thought
3: going into that play was you had – What, six seconds left? Because they they Uh, put time back on the clock. Yeah, it was six seconds. Six seconds left. There's actually time to run two plays there. Because... Mm, Like a quick out, out mm -hmm. of bounds? Yes, because they are... They're dropping everybody back.
1: Yeah. You
3: probably... In my opinion, run a quick out of some. It doesn't even have to be an out. You just have to put a guy on the outside, and he just runs out and turns around. Yeah, they're not. They're gonna gonna for one. They're not gonna risk interfering with him. For two, everybody is already backed off. Sure, you could. You could still ten, maybe fifteen yards on that. That's what I was thinking they would do. I don't know why
2: they did. Didn't they literally? Did they have? I remember they had a guy on the line as like a blindside like rusher but I don't remember how many other
1: guys if any wrong they had everybody way back I think they only sent maybe two yeah I remember one for sure he had all day to make up his mind about what he was going to do what here's the other question what is
3: Jake Elliott's long as a kicker the Eagles field goal kicker it's got to be somewhere in the 50s you're you're like you're in debt now. You're in desperation mode already, right? Like right. anything you do is desperation mode. So but you you all you there's almost room to actually get yourself in desperation field goal.
1: So you're talking range. about like maybe having him attempt like a sixty five yarder from close to midfield because I mean I guess statistically speaking you have a better shot of getting that than the hail mary that works what. 2 3% of the time.
3: Well, a hell, and a Hail Mary, where in this case, it did, the ball didn't even get there. or It, it wasn't... Like, I, we don't
1: know... Well, like I'm saying, saying if, if there they, may have been... If, a, if they ran that first play and got to, like, the 50-yard line, it's like, okay, we can either chug to the end zone or let Jake Elliott try a career-long, you know, 66-yard field goal or something like that. Yeah, so they, they start the play at the 36. Okay. Um, the Eagles
3: have basically trips into the boundary... The Chiefs have a they they're not playing like the full on prevent Hail Mary drop everybody fifty yards back yet. Right. However, there is there is a basically a ten yard cushion on the play, and you're you're really like it would have been pushing it. I don't know if there is actually time or room to get to the fifty, but that probably still is a with hindsight being in our favor, that's probably still a better strategic move. Um, Try to get it around the 50. 50 would be basically a 67-yard field goal.
2: The 50 also gives you a much, much, much better chance that they're a Hail Mary. Exactly. if something short. Jake Elliott, by the way, his career long, 61 yards. Hit it as a rookie at the time, broke the Eagles. It was a walk-off field goal and uh, it broke the Eagles' franchise
1: record, hit it as a rookie. Where was that at? Um, you know what? I actually don't see it. Because it's a different scenario when you're it's talking much about different scenario. In, indoors. In a, I mean, the roof was open, but it's effectively a indoor stadium. Yeah, I think it might have even just been
2: a, a regular season game. Okay. 61-yarder as a rookie. Um and it's ha- it still in the record books for, you know, some different categories. So from a leg standpoint, it's possible. Possible.
1: Now, Jake Elliott had slipped kicking earlier in the game, and he yeah. would have been standing on that midfield paint. That, looked that could have been a factor. Yeah. That's a that's a turf situation to actually get upset about because <laughs> it, was, it was not very good last night. Lots well, I, think, of slipping inside. I think they showed, did Hertz change his cleats in the yeah. second half? Yeah, he did. Yeah.
2: Yeah, first-half cleats, second-half cleats. But, yeah, I think the point is, I think what we've landed on is, you know, maybe could have had a better plan. And I guess we don't know. I mean, have we even seen anything addressed after the game of
1: this is what we were going for on that last play? No, I, and the, the Eagles didn't have any timeouts. So they were thinking about it as the play clock was winding down there. So you only have you yeah, know, so much time to to come up with something. Yeah. It, it, I mean, obviously, not
2: an easy situation. It, it's kind of hard to begrudge them. There's not much you can do there.
3: I mean, we're talking about a lot of options that right. none of them are good options at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, that's the Super Bowl though. You're supposed to yeah. completely break down every single little thing.
1: All things um, considered, though, great game. I mean, oh, we've had far worse, right? Oh yeah, like, there have
3: really been there have been some terrible Super Bowls over the years, and. But I I do feel like today's NFL game, for whatever reason, it is kind of, they have perfected, like it is designed to result in close games. Well,
1: I mean, I I think, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like this is probably one of the most competitive regular seasons ever. We had several weeks where every single game was decided by one score, seven points, three points, whatever. Like that's, the the offenses are so closely matched now, And, and defense certainly still plays a factor, but... Routinely, NFL games do come down to the very end more often than not. I saw a take from somebody
3: that deserves credit, but they're not going to get it because I don't remember who it was. But basically, it was that college coaches struggle with late-game management situations, Mm -hmm. and the NFL guys a lot of times do not because now every, just about every single NFL game Yep comes down to a handful of plays, or you know, you're in some late, even if you're, even if it's a long shot, you're in some late game situation where you're trying to score. Right. So the teams and coaches and everybody involved are just used to playing in those uh, small and, margin situations.
1: And I think we can all agree we enjoy college football more than the NFL. But I certainly appreciate the fact that when I tune into an NFL game on Sunday, it's most likely gonna be a four quarter down oh, yeah. to the wire game as opposed to college where a lot of the times we do see blowouts and 20- and 30-point victories. Yeah,
3: by by design, that's the way the NFL wants it, and I, I think it works. Um, i also also say this. I think there was a time where we probably don't see this slide, give yourself up, and kick the field goal approach. Yep. I think in the past, you maybe would have seen the Chiefs sort of take this old-school approach of, oh, if you can score, you score. Right. And now you've seen that be more and more accepted of, hey, the numbers say sure. this field goal attempt with virtually no time left is a far smarter play than giving the ball back to these offenses that are now so good. If you're, if, especially if you've made it this far, you're going to have a good offense. Right. So uh, I think, again, the right call, the right play, but it was, not, it was not fun to just watch it tick down and then basically the entire season comes down to an extra point. Right.
1: All right, going to run into our first timeout, come back on the other side, and uh, jump into some Gamecock stuff. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler, West and Chris, along with you on one oh seven by The Game.
0: There can be only one. With the battle of the unbeatens, it'll be number one South Carolina, as they will defeat undefeated LSU, Raven Johnson will hit a jumper with the shot clock winding down. They get 88-64, 14 seconds to play. Last chance for the Tigers to put points on the board. But it'll be a wire-to-wire victory for the Gamecocks. Lexus Morris jumper is no good. Rebound Cooper, and that should do it. There can be only one, and it's the South Carolina Gamecocks. Number one in the nation, all by themselves. Number one in the SEC as they knock off... Previously unbeaten in third-ranked LSU, 88-64 to stay unbeaten
1: at 25-0. And that was Brad Muller on the call yesterday right here on 107.5 The Game as the Gamecock women advanced to 25-0, stay undefeated on the season, 12-0 in conference play, taking down at number three LSU, the only other unbeaten team left in the country, and uh, an 88-64 victory yesterday. And we talked about this earlier with Colin Taylor on the In the Bonus Hour Uh, it doesn't look like anybody's on Carolina's level right now.
3: LSU certainly is not.
1: Um, That thud you heard at the end there, that final LSU
3: basketball shot, I think was representative of the entire afternoon for LSU. Um, Also, quick aside, Brad Muller, you're the man. Like His ability to call a game by himself and provide context and tell you what's going on. Like I've, I've listened to several games. Like I'll be in the car and I'll put on the women's basketball games, man. I've uh, been doing it for, I think almost 10 years now. Um, actually no, well longer than that. So, um, Brad got to imagine there's not many in the country that do it as well as him. So, I uh, wanted to throw that out there, but dude, the, I know you were at the game, Chris. I watched it on TV. The app they did actually a fine job on TV of capturing the atmosphere and uh, getting a sort of a good view. Felt like a just felt like a big game atmosphere, like a playoff, you know, tournament, um, almost like a championship type atmosphere. And uh, so, kudos to Gamecock Nation showing out again. But you can see why girls from all over the country who are ranked in the top ten. Their classes end up playing for Don Staley in South Carolina. There's a bunch of reasons for that, but one of those reasons is certainly the atmosphere that has been built at Colonial Life Arena with Don Staley and company. Chris, you were there. Um, I got to imagine it was even more electric in person than it came across on TV.
0: Yeah,
3: it was a great atmosphere. South Carolina got off to a big start.
2: I think that kind of carried things through. You know, it was a, they, they score on the very first. Sequence. I mean, very first touch. Yeah, they get one touch and just it's almost like a design play. I mean, you just get a layup and then you're up six nothing. Kim Mulkey has to call timeout. And, you know, Never Trail controlled the game really from start to finish. LSU made some runs. And I mean, look, LSU will, they'll be, we think we'd all be shocked if they're not a top five, top 10 team in short order. That's just, that's kind of what Kim Mulkey has done. She's obviously improved them a lot. Um, with the players that they have, recruiting. Dawn Staley pointed out after the game, even that she was really complimentary of Mulkey and said that you know they're well ahead of schedule. She's got the number one recruiting class coming in for next year. Um, got some good players, transfers already on the team. And Mulkey was complimentary of of Dawn Staley too, actually, after the game. And and her her I think words Wes were pretty much exactly. There's South Carolina, and then there's everyone else, is what. Kim Mulkey said after the game, and I think we saw that. Um, LSU made some runs. They got within, I think, four or five at a couple different points, but South Carolina obviously just just pulled away and really didn't even play West in some ways their best. I think they had a few defensive breakdowns. LSU made a, a lot of shots. South Carolina shot very poorly from the free throw line, 57%. Um, didn't have a great day from the three-point line. Um, I think they were... I don't know. Beal hit a couple. Boston missed both hers. They're two for six as a team. But uh, really did a great job in the paint, on the glass hustle. And and they were definitely... You know, they were heads and shoulders
3: better than LSU. I think they're just so much deeper than teams right now, man. They just wear them down. And, uh, you know, in this case, they not only wore them down as the game progressed, but also got off, like you said, to that incredibly quick start. And... Uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, LSU, kudos to them for sticking around because they got shell-shocked at the beginning, I think. And it's just like, wow, um, it is obvious which team is better. But then I, I think Carolina just comes at you in waves, man. Like um, their bench is just so, so good and so talented. And you obviously have the superstars, but everybody plays their role so well. Uh, Zaya was on her game. You know, from a scoring standpoint, yesterday, uh, you know, when she's on, and then throw in, um, you know, Aaliyah Cardosa, the defensive rebuild. I mean, it is a uh, it's near poss- near impossible for most teams to match up. LSU is definitely an improved program under Kim Mulkey, and they're going to keep building. I think, and they did a good job of hitting the transfer portal this last off season, and you know, getting some difference makers like Angel Reese, and um, you know, they're they're going to be. They're going to be there for Carolina to have to battle through, I think, for the foreseeable future. But it was also just painfully obvious, I'm sure, if you're an LSU fan, which program is by far the better one right now. And never really felt in doubt. Like, even though LSU chipped away, and you know, there was kind of that moment, and you you get that in a lot of games. LSU's talented enough you weren't going to just completely run away with the entire game. You kind of felt like there would be a run or two and LSU did that and again credit to them. But when they did, Carolina just kept playing their game and um you know, I'll tell you what. I think I think Raven Johnson when she has to take over as more of a sort of focal point star within this program, I think this girl has an incredibly bright future at South Carolina. But you know what? You could probably say that about maybe everybody on this roster at this point. Yeah. The the depth is definitely something
2: that you, you just watch the game and how early, you know, Kim Mulkey went to her bench a lot, but it's kind of a quick rotation. She's, she's got girls coming in and out, but it's kind of the same cast of characters you feel like. And then in some cases there's some drop off with South Carolina. I mean, when Kiara Fletcher comes out of the game, and she played very well. She didn't have a a huge stat line, but she played very well in this game. When she comes out, a lot of times you look at a team and if a starter comes out, okay, the starter's out. Well, here comes Raven Johnson in, you know, for her. Uh, Then you see another bench player coming in, and it's Cardoso, Uh, or it's L.A., or it's Bree Hall. You know, I mean, they just have so much... Depth And that caught up to LSU later in the game, too, especially with them having some foul trouble. I mean, they had LaDasia Williams, former Gamecock, fouled out. Angel Reese had to play the last part of the game with four. Uh, Samaya Smith, who had a really good game, um, she played 27 minutes, but she ended up with four fouls in the game. So the depth is something that's really, really carried them through. And they have so many girls that have such different, unique skill sets. And then they just, you know, as the game went on, Boston – Cardoso, Victoria Saxton—they just in the paint really just you know
3: they they kind of took over late in the game. Yeah, I think that's the maybe what we all thought. I mean, I, I think you looked at LSU coming into this game, and obviously they were the only other undefeated team out there. And you know, you're is this the is this the week Carolina gets a, a test and? You know, I think it was pretty clear that that LSU hadn't really played the schedule that South Carolina had to get to that undefeated part. Now, you know, this is probably they're they're gonna they're gonna build off this as well. You know, they're gonna say, "Look, um, we went in, we went to Columbia, we didn't quit." They're I think if you're LSU, there are positives they're gonna point to, and they're gonna try to build from this loss to South Carolina. But uh, for Carolina, it was dis- It was decidedly just. Business like I feel like you look at the way they deal with big atmospheres and uh, big moments and the ESPN showcase there. I mean, you you had ESPN's Super Bowl sort of pregame type stuff going on, then leading. Obviously, ESPN didn't have the Super Bowl itself, but they had coverage going on all day leading into. This game for South Carolina. So it, it was it was billed as, you know, one of the biggest games of the year, obviously. It was the first, I think, top three matchup for two SEC teams during the regular season since I think they said 93. Um, so you had, you captured a huge audience. I would love to know what the numbers end up being on this thing because I, I think um, it'll be a massive number of people, um, you know, leading into the Super Bowl. It was a great showcase for South Carolina, and, you know, this this train shows no signs of slowing down anytime soon. Um, they took that, that atmosphere, and they, they obviously, I would say, fed off of it, Carolina did, but at the same time, they didn't let it be bigger than them. They didn't let it affect them too much. They are very comfortable playing in these massive games at this point.
1: Yeah, and the women will be back in action coming up on Thursday night playing host to Florida at Colonial Life Arena. In fact, we have some tickets to give away for that game. If you're a caller number 5 at 803-404-6100, you will win yourself a pair of tickets to see the women play host to Florida coming up on Thursday. Give us a call now at 803-404-6100. As we head into this timeout, you're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game.
0: Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Fireman with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head, on your home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game.
1: Back in on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, here on 107.5 The Game, Tyler, Wes, and Chris along with you, go until 12 o'clock, then of course the halftime show with Jay and Terry coming up after that. Plenty more to get into, but first, Chris, got to tell them uh, about our friends over at Firehouse Subs and the sub of the day.
2: Sub of the day today is the meatball. It is Meatball Monday. Wes, do we have them trained up to where if you go in one of the 14 Midlands Firehouse Subs locations, if you ask for Wes's way, are they all trained up yet? I mean, try it. We I mean, should definitely should try definitely Try it and try let it. us know. Wes's Way is the Meatball Sub Add Pepperoni. Now, that does not come in the Sub of the Day, but you will still get a discount. Sub of the Day every day of the week, Sunday through Monday, Monday through Sunday, however you want to think of it, at all 14 Midlands locations of Firehouse Subs, five ninety nine dollars for a small, $7.99 for a medium. And, of course, today is the Meatball. You can check it out by visiting any of the local Firehouse Subs locations throughout the Midlands. You can also order... Through the Rapid Rescue at Firehousesubs.com or download the Firehouse Subs app. Appreciate them being a part of the
3: show. That's the way to do it, by the way. Rapid, Rapid rescue. rescue? You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to just walk in talk and to it. anyone. You <laughs> just you just order it. They're very nice, though. I mean, no, they you are. To talk to saying, somebody. You, don't, you don't have to deal with lines. That'd you just key. send it in. Yep. Quick Eats. Yeah. Firehousesubs.com or the app. Um, Who can beat South Carolina women's basketball? Simple answer, no one. I mean, so far. Also, let me just throw out a question that I don't have the answer to. Another one? A second one? (laughs) Yes. How many undefeated seasons have there been in women's basketball history? UConn
2: probably has 97% of them.
1: So when they played UConn last Sunday, they actually put up a graphic... And I want to say UConn had maybe six or seven, and I think Tennessee had one or two back in the nineties with Pat yeah, Summit. Pat Summit, yeah. um, Do you remember when the last one was, Tyler? I don't. Uh, there's definitely not been a ton. Maybe I don't know. Maybe eight or nine total. Well, it is so difficult
3: to go undefeated for an entire season, no matter what you're doing, because the level of consistency you need to have. You need to be able to win games even if you have an off night. You need to be able to win games even if you have people banged up or hurt. You need to be able to win games whenever you face an opponent that just has the best game of their entire season. And, you know, so far, Carolina has obviously done it. And we were talking, I think that was last week, Chris, about, you know, a potential loss and what you're chasing right now. I mean, I think if you're Carolina... A national championship is obviously the ultimate goal at this point. That's the goal for everybody. You're never going to look at a national title season like, "Oh, well, we lost a game." Does you know it, it's it's still the ultimate goal. However, I think you you've won that now. This group, most of this group, has experienced that. They they won it last year, obviously. I think now you're chasing greatness. You're chasing being locked in as a, a perfect team. Like, no matter how you get there, if you win every single game, then you had a perfect season. You are unblemished as far as your record goes. And I, I think uh, that's what Carolina is chasing at this point. I have the numbers from
2: the NCAA. com. There have only been nine instances in women's basketball of undefeated seasons. Uh, Only four programs have done it. So this would be a history maker for South Carolina in multiple categories. Uh, Baylor, UConn, Tennessee, and Texas are the only four programs to get one or more of those nine. Baylor, Tennessee, and Texas all have one, and UConn has six of them. Um, The last one to answer your question, Wes, most recent UConn was in 2015 and 16. They went 38-0, um, and that was in the midst of a 151-4 one span for 2012 to 2016. Um, so they won, obviously, the title that year. Uh, the one before that, 2013 and 14, UConn went 40-0. and And before that, Kim Mulkey and the Baylor Bears. Baylor Bears. Went forty and zero. That was twenty eleven and twelve. So it, it has not been done in several years, and South Carolina still obviously has an opportunity to do that. But I, I think West. I mean, if you look over, so they're twenty five and zero. I mean, who has come the closest? Stanford certainly did mm-hmm. when they went to Palo Alto. That was a the game they were behind for a large portion of the game. They ended up going to overtime, win by five. UCLA at home was a nine-point game. That was a ranked UCLA team at the time. Mississippi State on the road. Pretty close game. Maybe probably just more of an outlier. He just didn't play that well. There's, I mean, UConn, obviously. at UConn. There, there's just not a lot of close games on the schedule so far. And I don't see, I mean, just looking over the last few games against Florida, that Ole Miss, at Tennessee versus Georgia, you don't look at that and, and anticipate a loss, certainly. So, you know, you, you favor them through, down the
3: stretch here. Yeah, I mean, it's not like this team cannot be beat. It's not yeah. like it's out of the realm of possibilities. Like you said, I mean, Stanford was in a position to win that game against South Carolina. Now, you're going all the way out there, yeah, obviously. So they, they will be tested in the tournament. It's not like they're going to just easily walk to this thing. But they do have a chance. as you said, 25 and0, I don't know the math um, on how many games, how many more games you would have to play and what the number would actually be, but you're obviously looking at somewhere around 40 games. So you're over halfway there at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, I mean, LSU is the number three team in the country. And there was a lot of talk made that Indiana had – when Indiana jumped them because Indiana had a loss. But LSU has played a pretty soft schedule so far. I mean, their schedule has not been that great when you look at their strength of schedule metrics. And I I do realize this was not a neutral site game. This was not in Baton Rouge. That was a very difficult environment to play in. But you look at the final score – and South Carolina controlled the game, you know, start to finish. If LSU did make a run to the extent that they made a run, cut it to five, cut it to double digits, South Carolina would always respond with a run of its own and ended up winning going away in the fourth quarter. So I kind of think, and and UConn, I mean, they're down from a depth standpoint. I mean, Stanford probably has the best shot right now, just kind of
3: my perspective on it. Yeah, that's that's become a um, it's become a rivalry. I feel like of its own because they, there's a lot. I think there's a lot of respect between those two programs, and um, both of them have players who have been who are just veterans at this point and have been through some just absolute battles with each other, and um, r- really special rivalry. I think of two of the premier programs in college basketball and. It almost feels like that those two teams will find a way, because they always seem to. Those two teams will find a way to find each other in uh, the postseason again.
1: Absolutely. Going to run into one more timeout, come back, and wrap up the Monday edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs, do have one more pair of tickets to give away for the men's team, who is also coming off of a win this weekend, taking down Ole Miss on the road. They'll be back home in action, taking on Vanderbilt tomorrow night on Valentine's Day Step off at 630 at Colonial Life Arena. Be caller number five right now, 803-404-6100 for your chance to win a pair of tickets to that game. We'll be right back on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs right here on 107.5 The
0: Game. Chevy's is available now at Herndon Chevrolet. The lot is packed with inventory and more is on the way. So shop your hometown Chevy dealer today. Stop by or shop online today and see why Herndon Chevrolet makes you smile. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game.
1: Back in on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler, Wes, and Chris along with you for a few more minutes. I mentioned it on the other side of the break as we were giving away the tickets. The men's basketball team finally got their second conference win of the season against Ole Miss on the road on Saturday. And this is a team that against Arkansas and Missouri, you definitely saw flashes of playing better. And almost certainly isn't a dominant team by any means, but it is a team that beat you by 12 points earlier on in the season. And, you know, we didn't know if that second win was going to come, but uh, built a little bit of momentum and was finally able to put it together on Saturday.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think you see some guys improving as the year has progressed as well. Uh, Jacoby Wright, big game for him, hit the big shot late. Michi Johnson, we, you know, we've seen. Lots of flashes from him all year long. It's just a matter, I think, of putting it all together. Obviously, the storyline here is the fact that, um, you know, Gigi Jackson did not play a ton in this game. And, um, you know, Carolina was still able to go win. Hayden Brown had a big game as well. Josh Gray, who, you know, I, I think maybe has a case for most improved player on the entire team, Has been phenomenal. I I think it just being that big man presence and snatching down rebounds. He looks like he's playing confidently and is uh, giving Carolina second chance opportunities. And you know, I'll say this: I I thought I thought the announcers were tough on Gigi. Listening to the game, Um, you know, still a young guy, I felt like they were maybe reading into his body language quite a bit. Um obviously, you know, there's a reason Lamont Paris didn't play him more than he did. And uh, you know, that that's a situation between the two of them, I think, and a situation that ultimately will be good for GG, I think, in the long run. And, you know, we've seen him show flashes of just absolute brilliance. And um, you know, then there there have been reminders that uh hey, this kid is the age where he should still be in high school and uh, I think to an extent that's to be expected the amount of pressure on him but I I thought the announcers just kept drilling down on it I'm like guys let's move on to something else I realize it's a storyline for this game but uh, I thought they were a little bit over the top in that discussion but big win for Carolina obviously this has been a tough year top to bottom for Carolina men's basketball find a way to win on the road and they get some big contributions again with, you know, without Gigi uh, doing a whole lot. And I, I think if you'd have told me that I would have probably been surprised. I would have thought Gigi would have needed to carry the load if they were going to win that game. Yeah. And you mentioned Jacoby, right? Colin Taylor, our colleague has a
2: great piece on Gamecock central that kind of examines his impact the last several games and, um, since the Georgia game, five different games, you know, what Wright has done. And so it's not like he's averaging 25 points a game, right? But this is a guy that, you remember when they signed in that class, Frank Martin brought in Devin Carter and Jacoby Wright. And Carter is no longer with us. He is at a different program. But Jacoby Wright, was a guy that was pretty highly thought of as an in-state kid. Not on the superstar level, but, hey, this guy's going to be a good player. And I think we're seeing the signs of that. You know, last five games, according to Collins' piece, ten, about 10.5 points, shooting 47%. And here's one we saw against Ole Miss, guys, 10 for 19 overall in that stretch from three. And so um, last couple games with him in the starting lineup, He's averaging 14 points over those previous two games, playing 34 minutes a game, and he's shooting quite well um, in addition to not turning the the ball over too much. So I think he's been a big spark. You're right, Wes. You you generally kind of think, with the talent level on this team and where they're at, that their top-level guy in terms of talent, Gigi Jackson, kind of they're going to go as he goes. But um, last game, that wasn't the case. And I think Wright... Like, this doesn't really significantly change the outlook in, in the last part of the season for South Carolina. You, you're not saying, oh, they're going to go out and make some serious noise here at the end or anything. But it is going to help them, I think, be more competitive. And he certainly emerged here in this back half of the season.
3: Well, I think this season has been has had so many lows. A lot of fans are just saying, can, can we see some improvement Like, can we see you start to show signs of progress? Uh, And and I'm talking about the season itself, the team itself, not about Jacoby Wright. But um, I I think you start to look at some individuals in this thing, and you are seeing signs of progress. Now, obviously, the big thing moving forward is this is not your traditional college basketball. You almost have to rebuild your team every single offseason. So how much advantage do you even get from... Getting momentum at the end of the season if guys leave after it, Uh, you know, so we'll see, Um, you know, obviously Gigi Jackson could be a lottery pick lottery picks don't stay in college Um, Gigi has publicly said on his I.G. live along with other things that he's been considering coming back. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens there. Um, But uh, yeah, certainly better if you're a Carolina fan than the alternative, which would have been just losing out down the stretch.
1: Yep, Uh, we'll come back tomorrow. We can dive a little bit more into the Vanderbilt game. That's a team that's currently on a little bit of a hot streak themselves as they're seeking their fourth conference victory in a row as they come into Colonial Life Arena again tomorrow night at 6.30, taking on the Gamecocks, which you can hear right here on 107.5 The Game. That'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. For Wes and Chris, I'm Tyler. Halftime show coming up next with Jay and Terry on 107.5 The Game